0: So before we begin, let me uh, go to the Lord in prayer, seek his guidance and and help. Father, we thank you for this appointed time that you've gathered us together as your church to hear from your word, and specifically this afternoon from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Father, I pray that this truth would help us to be reminded and even teach us more about uh, how important it is to be a part of the body of Christ. Pray that our souls would find our soul satisfaction in you alone. If there's anything within our hearts that's pulling us away or distracting us from the truth or of how good you are, that your spirit would convict our hearts to turn back to you now as we look to your word, I pray that your spirit would grant us understanding, that we may live out this truth um, and remember the gospel that saved us. We thank you for these things and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 reads, for though, I'll begin verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Title this message, humble service. Humble service. In a quick summary of Romans up to this point, chapters one through 11, Paul declares and expounds the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's centered on the gospel. It's centered on the righteousness of God as displayed through Christ answers the question, why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to be saved? It's because everyone is a sinner. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. It answers the question, how we are saved. It's not by our works. It's not by what we do. But it's by the righteousness of Christ. It answers the question, why Jesus is the only one Who can save us? Again, it's because we're sinners. We need a perfect sacrifice in our place as our substitute to atone for our very sins. He's the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. It answers the question, why has the Spirit regenerated our hearts? Why has the Spirit come and indwelt Our bodies and our souls, what's the purpose? And the reason is to be empowered by his grace to live for him, to be able to worship him, to use the gifts that he gives us for the benefit of his people. And then verse 3 in chapter 12, after verses 1 and 2, talks about, by the mercies of God, you've been saved. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or your reasonable service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, 4. This is the explanation of how to present our bodies within the one body of Christ as a living and holy sacrifice that is acceptable to God. In other words, if you are truly presenting your body as a living and holy sacrifice to God, you will be humbly serving him. And the order here is important. Vertical, then horizontal. Love God, then love others. One flows to the other. A relationship with God precedes acceptable Service to God. Romans 8 eight says those who are in the flesh, unregenerate, unbelievers, cannot please God. Verse 9 of chapter 8, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Serving at church doesn't necessarily mean you are a Christian. Serving Christ means you are a Christian. Serving Christ means that you belong to Him. Many people can serve, but are they serving God from a transformed heart that loves and worships Him? Is their service only directed horizontally or vertically first and therefore horizontally to others? We don't limit serving In some areas of the ministry here at Grace Church. But there is something to be said about church membership and serving. That those who profess Christ learn about what the church is and what the church teaches and publicly proclaim their salvation testimony of the grace of God in their life and their union with Christ and his people through baptism and place themselves under the shepherding care of the elders And commit themselves to serving this local body of Christ. Paul is continuing to address Christians who have been saved by the mercies of God and therefore are to live their lives in total commitment to Him by presenting their bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is their, again, reasonable service of worship. Not to be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Again, only believers can have their minds renewed. It's a work of the Spirit so that they may prove, live out what the will of God is. Again, only Spirit-empowered, regenerated believers can live out the will of God in a way that is pleasing and good and acceptable to the Lord. It begins with faith. It begins with faith. You first have to know and believe in Jesus Christ and have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, to resist the temptations and the things of this world, And to have your mind renewed by the word of God. We can't forget that the church is the people of God. And that we gather to worship God. It's for believers. But if you're not a Christian, this is the best place you could be. This is the best place on earth that you could be. To hear truth. To hear the gospel that could bring your dead and hardened heart to life. To see Christ-like love demonstrated and truth lived out among the true followers of Christ. Verse 2 talks about the spirit renewing our minds. Changing the way that we think. Thus changing the way that we live and conduct ourselves in light of the gospel. We have to ask, why does the Holy Spirit even need to change our minds? Why does the Holy Spirit need to change the way that we think? Romans one, twenty-eight 28 28-31 says, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, Arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And if you notice the progression, what is first affected is the mind. And what follows is all manner of unrighteousness. How we think determines what we do. Romans 3 verse 11 says, no one understands. That's right before he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. Again, no one understands the very next verse. That's a, that's a failure to think rightly about God and about ourselves. And this characterizes the unbeliever. The primary instrument in which the Spirit uses to transform us is with His Word so that we might think rightly about God and know the truth. And what happens as a result of that is a life that loves and lives, delights and desires to worship and do the will of God. God, by His grace, transforms us by His Spirit through the instrument of His Word to change our minds, to change how we think, thus changing our attitudes and our affections and our actions so that we might more closely resemble His Son, Jesus Christ, and love Him more. A transformed life is a repentant life, It changes the way we think about God and about ourselves. And as a Christian, how am I to think of myself? The way that we think of ourselves is one of the clearest indicators of whether we have been transformed by the gospel and whether we have a proper understanding of who God is. And there can be no genuinely effective service to God unless we have first offered ourselves as a living sacrifice where we offer and give up all that we are For his service. Remember, we are slaves of Christ. We're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him completely and wholeheartedly. Christ has saved our entire being and he deserves our entire being. When, when we present ourselves to God in worship, then we become immediately useful to him. In this passage, Paul teaches believers that a total commitment to Christ leads to humble service for Christ. A total commitment to Christ leads to a humble service for Christ so that we can benefit the body of Christ. Christians are to maximize their usefulness to God, and our usefulness depends on, we'll see three things in this passage. First, in verse 3, how we think about ourselves. Christians are to maximize their usefulness to God, and our usefulness depends on how we think about ourselves. Verse three. Verse three says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Paul begins by speaking of the grace of God given to him to be an apostle. He says, for through the grace given to me, he didn't become an apostle on his own, in other words. He didn't become an apostle because he really wanted to be one. It was a gift of grace and faith that God assigned to him. We see that at the end of verse 3. And Paul is addressing all Christians in Rome, and by implication all Christians today. He says, I say to everyone among you, and this is how Christians are to think about themselves not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So we see that the thinking in verse 3 is tied to the thinking in verse 2 of renewing our minds. The mind that is renewed rightly thinks about the will of God, how to live for God, and thinks rightly about oneself. Namely, that we do not think more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. The importance of thinking is highlighted here in this passage. It's used four times just in verse three. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly than he ought to, more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Sound judgment is another word for thinking. Paul is continuing to emphasize the importance of the need to continually be renewing our minds as believers. Depending upon the spirit, to grow us in our understanding of the word of God that we might worship him more with our lives. The mind can either lead us into pride or our minds being renewed by the word through the spirit of God can lead us into humble service for God. We've been learning about this in the men's study, David and Saul. David was useful to the Lord. He made himself available to the Lord. He was humble. Whereas Saul did things for his own glory. He trusted in himself. He thought too highly of himself, and he wanted the praise of others. And those are really the two responses. How you think of yourself does matter. And so a renewed mind is a humble mind. Our usefulness to God depends on our humility. That's the first thing Paul lists here. As those who have been saved, now how are we to live? How are we, how are we to be effective and useful to the Lord? Depends on our humility. Notice he doesn't lift, uh, list the gifts first, talents and abilities. He cares about your character. Ephesians 4, verses 1 or 2. Apostle Paul there writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. How do you do that? First thing he writes there is, with all humility. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love. How do we live a life worthy of the manner for which we've been called? Be humble. Serve the Lord. To think too highly or too much of ourselves, again, is called pride. And pride is a sin. Pride causes to lose our ability to think clearly, and usually we're the last one to know it. So how are we to think? Verse 3 says we are to think with sound judgment. We are to think with sound or sober judgment or sane judgment or sensible judgment. So what does it mean to think soundly? It means to be in one's right mind. It means to be in one's right mind. Galatians 6 verse 3 says for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself. It's to think about oneself rightly again to be in one's right mind not to be insane. Who you are and what you've been given is all of grace. All of grace. Romans 12 1 by the mercies of God. When you think of salvation, all of grace. When you think about your gifts, they've all been given to you. When you think about your knowledge of the truth, that's aided and empowered by the Spirit of God. When you think about your own physical, even abilities and capabilities, that's the Lord's doing. When you think about your position, maybe, at work, or wherever it is. Who put you there? We have no reason to be proud. Every reason to be humble. What pride tells us is the opposite of that. It's telling us we don't need God. We don't need Jesus Christ. We don't need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. We can do it ourselves. We want to please ourselves over pleasing God. It's all about us. But I love you, Lord, because you saved me. But my life is for me and what I want to do. The great thing about the transforming power of the gospel is that Jesus Christ enables us to think less about ourselves and more about him. How? We have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Second Corinthians 10.5 That tells us with the word that we have and the spirit that empowers and dwells us that the more we look to Christ and his word, the more we will begin to think clearly and soundly. What sobers us is the word of God. What sobers us is to think about Christ and his humility. All you have to do is read Philippians 2 verses 1 through 8. God came down took on flesh. Lived a life of perfect obedience. Leading to his death upon the cross. He came to serve. He came to do the will of God. He knew that it would accomplish what the Father sent him to do. He knew that it would glorify his Father. And if you look at the end of verse 3 in Romans 12. What does the phrase, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, mean? What does it mean, and how does it help us to think soundly? How does it help us to think rightly? Notice that this measure of faith, verse 3, is allotted or assigned to each and every believer by God. This measure of faith is given to each and every one of us who are born again, This faith that is given is described as a measure of faith, which refers to the differing gifts and functions of gifts within the body that each believer has been given and the grace and the faith to exercise those gifts. Verse four, if you look there, for just as we have many members in one body and all have, and all members do not have the same function. And look down at verse six, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we see there, Different function, different gifts. So what Paul is speaking about here are spiritual gifts that have different functions within the body of Christ, which he also calls in verse six, a grace that is given to us. And verse three, a measure of faith that has been allotted or assigned to us. In other words, we are to think with sound judgment in regards to the spiritual gift God has given and assigned to each and every believer, and exercise them in faith and humble service to God, knowing that God provides not only the gift, but the empowerment and faith to use the gift that he provides to us. Again, highlighting how humble we ought to be as we serve him. Faith, as referenced in Romans 3.27, excludes all boasting. It excludes all boasting. Faith reduces pride. And so by calling these gifts the measure of faith God has assigned, Paul is saying that these gifts ought to be exercised with all humility because these gifts are not born from within ourselves, but they are given to us by God. It also teaches us that no gift should be sought after. No gift should be sought after. When I first started attending church, one of the big things that people would talk about is Seeking the gift of tongues. Because if you have the wrong understanding that gifts are given to us by God to edify and strengthen the body, then you're going to go around thinking that you have the power within yourself to determine what your gifts are and to attain the gifts that you think should be yours. To elevate yourself above others. not understanding they are sovereignly given and assigned by God. We are not to seek out these gifts. And if God has given these gifts to each one of us, then no gift should be unused. No gift should be inactive. God has measured them out as gifts of his grace for the purpose of his glory to the edification of the saints. To be clear, this measure of faith is not referring to saving faith. He's addressing those who have, who are saved by the mercies of God. This is talking about the faith that it takes to exercise our gift. In other words, the faith measured out to me is the measure of faith to exercise the gift that God has given to me. What God requires, he supplies and he provides. He didn't give believers a certain gift and not the ability or capacity to operate it. When you received a gift, you received the necessary spiritual capacity to exercise it and that is the measure of faith that God has assigned with the gift that he wants you to use. So how are Christians to think of themselves? How are Christians to maximize their usefulness to God? What is the proper attitude? What is the attitude in the heart of someone who is totally given over to God? It's an attitude of humility. How are we to think of ourselves? With humility. Not too highly, but with sound judgment in relation to God and others. Knowing that everything that we have has been given to us by God and they're to be used for God. First way to maximize our usefulness to God is to think rightly about ourselves. That requires humility. Secondly, in verses 4 and 5, we'll see how we are to think about ourselves in the body. How we are to think about ourselves within the body. Verse 4 and 5 reads, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. How are we to maximize our usefulness to God? Paul moves on from how we are to think of ourselves to how we are to think of ourselves in relation to the church body he gives us an analogy here between the human body and the church. Just as the human body has different parts, fingers, toes, arms, legs, elbows, knees, ears, eyes, there's still just one body, just many parts to that one body. There's one body but many members that have different functions. It's not hard to understand. There's unity in that we are all members in one body, but there's diversity in our functions. So to think rightly about ourselves is to think of ourselves as belonging to a body. Not just humbly, but to think of ourselves as belonging to a body. Paul says in verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body. Verse 5 he says, So we who are many are one body in Christ. Christian believers are granted by the grace of God different spiritual gifts to be used and exercised in the body of Christ. And so to think with sound judgment is to think of ourselves as belonging to a body of believers in which these gifts are to be used. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Gifts have been given by God to every person in the body in which we are individually members one of another. Therefore, no one can boast. First Corinthians twelve twenty-one 21-26 And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which seem which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So how we function in the body or not function in the body affects the entire body. Even if you think it does or not, it does. Because we are part of one body. And so faith and sound judgment produces not pride, but humility as we see ourselves as part of a body. And therefore, our need for one another as a part of the body to serve and build up the body and not just ourselves. What does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? What is so special and unique and significant that believers have been united and brought into the body of Christ? Why does it matter? If you are a believer, you are in a relationship with other believers in Christ. How is it that we are in relationship to one another? Because if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are in a relationship with all others who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are all in Christ together. We are, as the end of verse 5 says, individually Members one of another. We belong to the family of God together. When you think of yourself, you must think of yourself in the context of the body. In other words, your identity in Christ is found within the body. You don't exist alone. You exist within the body that you're to function in, that you're a part of. It's because without the body, you're nothing. You have no identity apart from the body. Members, parts, have no meaning apart from the body. There's no such thing as being a member of yourself. If you are in Christ, you are a member of the body of Christ. And this is how we are to think of ourselves with sound judgment. Understanding that we do belong to a body in relationship with Christ and with other Christians. We tend to think of ourselves as isolated families or isolated believers who just come together on Sunday and gather as God's people. But we are to constantly think and know that we are part of a body, not isolated. That's why any attempt to live the Christian life apart from the body of Christ is not only difficult, but is contradictory to Scripture. You are either in Christ and a member of his body and that will be demonstrated in your love and service for one another and to God, or you are not. Is this how you view yourself? Is the desire of your heart to gravitate towards the people of God, to love them, to serve them, and not to think too highly of yourself? Within the body, I am not my own and you are not your own. I don't belong to me You don't belong to you. Rather, I belong to you, you belong to me as we belong to Christ. We are each other's. In the world, we belong to ourselves. But in the church, we belong to each other in Christ. Therefore, we need each other. We depend upon each other. I need you and you need me because we have have differing gifts with differing functions. But we are one body. You see why unity within the body is so critical and important. There must be unity in purpose, being of the same mind, as we see our interconnectedness and the necessary part that each one of us is to participate in as we serve with our gifts. Paul says we are members one of another. Not only are we in relationship to one another, but we also belong to one another. You belong to Jesus Christ. He has redeemed you and bought you with his precious blood, but he gives you and unites you to all other members of his body. And so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. What is it that's preventing you from giving yourself completely over to Christ and his body? The glory of God is displayed as you give yourself in service to him and to the body of Christ. When we understand this, we see why the church is like nothing else. Why the church is so unique and special that the people of God come into the gathering of the church to worship God. But when other people come into the gathering of the church, they realize that this isn't something that's natural. It's different from what they're used to It's because this is supernatural by God's grace. And when people come, they see that these people belong to each other in ways that are not of this world. That they don't keep to themselves and only think about their own best interests and what they can gain from others. But they see a people who belong to each other, who give themselves in service to one another, who love others, who don't think too highly of themselves. This is the demonstrating and living out of Christ's love and humility that's seen and to be a visible manifestation to those around us. So what again, what does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? Paul says in verse 5, So we who are many are one body in Christ. The phrase in Christ helps to define and help us to understand what it means to belong to the body. First Corinthians 1 verse 4, tells us that we as believers have received grace in Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24, our redemption is in Christ Jesus. Colossians, excuse me, Galatians 2.17, we are justified in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.32, we have the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians five seventeen. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Romans six twenty three. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Philippians four nineteen. God supplies all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Ephesians one verse three. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.28, You will be presented to God perfect in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.32, we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Romans 12.5, that you belong to the body in Christ Jesus. In other words, together you have no condemnation. Together we are new creatures. Together we have been justified. Together we have been redeemed. Together our sins have been atoned for. Together our sins have been forgiven. This is the uniqueness of belonging to the body in Christ the church. Not only are we in relationship together, not only that we belong to one another, but we together share something that we share with no one else outside of Christ. What is that? We're in Christ. We're in Christ together. We have fellowship together in Christ, which means that what you and I have together What you and I share together is more than what I share with any other person who is outside of Christ, who is not in Christ. What does that mean? Even the parents that God used to bring me into this world, I have a closer relationship to you than I do with them because they are outside of Christ. This is the significance of the body of Christ and belonging to a body. That we're part of an eternal family of God. That's how important and unique the body of Christ is. We have a connection that is in Christ that is closer than any relationship that we share outside of the church. So if you care little about the body of Christ, and if the body of Christ is of little importance and value to you, and the truth that what unites us together is that we are in Christ, and that we are to serve one another and build one another up to the glory of God with the gifts that he has bestowed upon us and the faith that he gives us that has no significance in your life, then you must question whether or not you're genuinely in Christ. Maybe you haven't truly understood the mercies of God because those who are in Christ love the body of Christ will serve the body of Christ by using what God has given them to help the body grow and function according to God's will. How you think of yourself within the body matters. If you're a Christian, you are a member in the body of Christ, and as a member of the body of Christ, you have a gift that is useful to the body. And the other members have different gifts that are useful to you and to the body. Because we are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. If we are to maximize our usefulness to God, we need to think rightly about ourselves in humility, knowing that everything we have has been given by His grace. We also need to think rightly about ourselves as part of the body. We can't separate our lives, our identity, from the body, from the church. Lastly, in verses 6 through 8, we need to know how we are to use ourselves in the body. This is the application how we are to use ourselves in the body, verses 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. How are Christians to use themselves in the body? It's not complicated. It's simple. The answer is found in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. The ESV says simply use them. Use them. Be useful to the body by using your gifts. Notice that these gifts are according to the grace given to us. These are grace gifts, and so we are to be humble in our use of them. We have to remember that whatever we have to use to serve the Lord has been given to us, along with the enablement and the empowerment to exercise that gift. First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it. In other words, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter says, as each one, which makes it crystal clear that every believer must serve the body. God is worshipped by our service to him. The exercise of spiritual gifts should not be separated, again, from the unity of the body. Christians all have gifts that differ, but they all serve the same purpose. Paul lists here seven spiritual gifts. This is not a comprehensive list, but this list does lay out gifts that do continue to function within the body of Christ and are to be exercised within the church. There's two categories of gifts listed here between the seven that are listed. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts would include prophesying, teaching, and exhorting that are listed there. Service gifts would include serving, giving, leading, and showing mercy. So how are we to think about spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? They are gifts given to every single believer by the grace of God. Verse six tells us they are not produced. They're not created. They're not earned. They're not deserved by us. Therefore, spiritual gifts ought to be exercised again with all humility, with sound judgment, thinking rightly about our gifts and our abilities and our talents, knowing that it is of the grace of God given to us in which we are to give him the glory and boast in his grace in our lives first corinthians 12:4 says now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of ministries and the same lord there are varieties of effects but the same god who works all things in all persons first corinthians 12:11 one and the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually just as he wills spiritual gifts are empowered enabled not by our own doing but by the doing of god through the spirit Spiritual gifts are given to every Christian believer and God empowers every Christian believer with a grace-given ability to specially minister to the body of Christ. But we have to be intentional. We have to be active. We have to be humble. We have to want to be used. And so we are not to take pride in our spiritual gift nor are we to neglect using our gift. To fail to use your spiritual gift which is given by the grace of God, is to reject the grace of God that's been given to us. The reason why you might not feel as much as part of the body price is because you're neglecting to use the gift that God has given to you to use. You're not participating. You're not serving. If you're a Christian believer, you've been placed in a body to function within the body by exercising, by using your spiritual gift. Are you disregarding your spiritual gift? Are you disregarding the body of Christ? The bigger question is, are you disregarding serving Christ? Why is it important that believers use their spiritual gift? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts, notice from verse 4, are to function within the body. When the body is functioning, the body is growing spiritually. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up. It's to strengthen the body. Romans 1, 11 through 12 says, Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. He longs to go to Rome. He hasn't been there yet. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. You may be strengthened. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul expresses his desire to see the Christians in Rome and he tells them that he longed to see them that he might impart his spiritual gifting to them in order to strengthen them, in order to encourage them. The proper exercise of gifts strengthens the body, strengthens the body of Christ as it mutually edifies and encourages the members of the body. One of the ways in which God grows his church spiritually is by his people serving one another through their gifts. Are you serving the body? First Corinthians 12.7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. How is it manifested? How is it visibly demonstrated? When you use your gifts to serve. Are you functioning as you ought to in the body of Christ? To build up the body of Christ as a member, one of another, by using your spiritual gift to strengthen the body, to edify the body, that we might put the grace of God and the power of God on display for our good and for his glory. As every spiritual gift is purposed to grow the body, every spiritual gift strengthens the body in different ways. The body grows through the teaching of the word of God as believers learn to obey the will of God for their lives. But the body also grows when the people of God are encouraged by acts of mercy or generosity. The body grows when a believer uses their gifting to encourage another believer. So we see that the body grows in different ways through the exercise of different gifts with the purpose of strengthening one another, edifying one another. That's important to know. Different gifts serve a different purpose in growing the body. So the gift of teaching has a specific purpose in growing the body. The gift of giving has a specific purpose in growing the body. The gift of encouraging or leading has a specific purpose in growing the body. And Paul lists seven different gifts, verses 6 through 8. And it's not Paul's intention to classify every spiritual gift. His focus is that he might exhort the members of the body to use to exercise whatever gift that God has graced them with and to do it in humility and to do it with love. That's his purpose. There are various gifts in which the people of God are gifted by the grace of God to serve the body of Christ. And the emphasis here is to use it. Exercise your gift for the church. Use your gift to serve the body. So in the New Testament, there are three categories of gifts. Sign gifts, speaking gifts... And serving gifts. And it's again important to know that Paul is giving instruction here for the ongoing life of the church, not for the laying down of the foundation of the church. That's already been done by the apostles and prophets. And those included the sign gifts, the revelatory gifts, the miraculous gifts that are no longer in operation. So Paul here is listing speaking and serving gifts. And we'll, won't spend too much time. We'll quickly go through each one. But you might look down at verse 6 and say, well, well, it says prophecy. What about verse 6? If prophecy according to the proportion of faith. The Greek word for prophecy here refers to the gift of not foretelling, but forth-telling truth. Declaring God's divine will and purpose. It carries the idea of speaking publicly, of speaking before a group of people. And so in other words, this is the gift of preaching, of proclaiming God's revealed word. This is not receiving direct revelation from God and making it known, but rather it is a speaking gift that uses the word of God as its source and proclaims revelation that has already been revealed according to the proportion of faith, meaning the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. Verse 7, if service and is serving. This is the gift of practical help. It's a general term for any kind of serving. That's where we get the word deacon from. General service, not in the official capacity. This is, what can I do to help? I'm available to be used. What do you need help with? Folding bulletins, moving chairs, picking up trash, wiping down windows, picking up, dropping off someone to and from church, bringing food to someone who who can't leave the house and is sick, if service in his serving. Moving on, or he who teaches in his teaching. This is the gift of instruction, leading someone along in their understanding of Scripture. It's the ability to analyze and systematize and pass on instruction from the Word of God in a way that provides understanding and brings clarity. Verse 8, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. This is the gift of coming alongside to encourage to strengthen, to comfort, to challenge God's people, to act consistently with God's will. He who gives with liberality, this is the gift of giving. Giving your resources for the benefit of others, willingly, joyfully, generously, sacrificially. He who leads with diligence, this is the gift of leadership. It's to manage, to be in charge, to oversee, to rule. It's the ability to organize and administrate and get people together to mobilize them to accomplish a task and to do it with diligence, with zeal, with passion, with efficiency. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is the gift for people who have a, a compassion and a special burden for people who are hurting and in need. And they do it with cheerfulness, meaning happily with joy. They love to serve those who are in need. They delight in showing mercy. And the question, the big question is, well, what if I don't know my gift? I don't know what it is. How do you identify your spiritual gift? And this is where there's somewhat debate. Um, in the 1970s, spiritual assessment tests started becoming popular, and many of these tests were based off the work of a non-Christian, a Swiss psychiatrist, If you've ever taken these tests, they range from 40 to 50 questions on a scale of one to four, whatever it might be. You answer those questions, and depending upon how you answer those questions, you score them up, tally them up, and there's a list of different spiritual gifts, and you're able to identify whichever one had the most points, that's where you're gifted. Those with the least, that's not where you're gifted. And it helps you understand where and what different areas or ministries you would be most effective in. And this has become a way that Christians look to to evaluate what their gifts are and even to evaluate who they are. These, these spiritual assessment tests or Myers-Briggs personality tests, the Enneagram personality test, the love language test, these are Unhealthy. These are unbiblical methods that hinder people from serving as they should and viewing themselves in ways that they shouldn't. Not all the time, but they tend to. They cause people to use it to define who they are and they may even act according to it so that they fit into that category or into that box. It limits what they're able to do. Oh, that's not me. I didn't have that score on that test, so I'm never going to serve in that area. Or the love language says, Love me like this. I'm loved best when you give me words of affirmation. How about everyone just demonstrates Christ-like, sacrificial love? We may ask, what is these personality tests? What is personality? That's hard to define. And it depends who you ask. According to the American Psychological Association, personality refers to individual differences in character characteristic patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Dictionary.com says the essential character of a person. It's the essential character of a person. Google defines it as the combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's distinctive character. What does the Bible say? about a person's character and behavior, about a believer who's been born again by the Spirit. They're a new creation. They're to renew their minds. They're to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. That has to do with our character, our patterns of thinking, our patterns of behaving. Dictates how we feel based upon truth, not the other way around. So according to the definition that the world gives us about personality and the test that you're to take to determine how you're to serve the church, isn't personality changing? Isn't it fluid? If you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, if you're becoming more Christ-like in your thinking and your actions, so these spiritual assessment tests are not how you find your spiritual gift. Or I would not recommend... Them to be ways that you would find your spiritual gift. Notice that when you read scripture, there's not one verse that says or indicates that finding your gift was a problem. There's not one verse that tells us how to find your gift. When you take a survey through early church history, all you find is silence in regards to the issue of finding your gift, and that it was a a problem for them. They didn't have a problem identifying their gift. Why? Because the emphasis we find in Scripture is not finding the gift. Well, how do I use my gift if I don't know what it is? The answer is by simply serving. Serve. Verse 6. Exercise your gifts accordingly. Use them. Serve the body. Give yourself to the body As you serve, those gifts will become evident to you and to those around you, and they'll be confirmed by those around you. And you'll see the effectiveness of your service in different areas. And that identifies your gifts. In other words, serve, and as you do, the gift will become more evident as you are using the gift. What does that mean? That means you can serve in any area of the church. Don't say, my gift is... Leadership, so I can only be in positions of leadership where I can serve. It just says, use your gifts. Use them. You're to present your entire body, your entire life as a living sacrifice of worship. You can serve in any ministry, anywhere, anybody. Just serve. Verse 6 says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to, again, exercise them. Serve the body of Christ. And notice how Paul writes this in verses 7 and 8. He says, If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation. The emphasis is on using them, doing it. Do it. And that's how the body will be strengthened. That's how the body will be encouraged and edified. That's how you will be encouraged and edified. Let us serve one another in whatever way that might be, but we have to serve one another. We belong to each other. We belong to one body. We have gifts that differ and have different functions that are useful to strengthen one another and to glorify God. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And in the truest sense, he out of all gave himself away for his people. He was God's gift to us, a gift that, Served a purpose. He came and served to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came from God the Father to live and die in the place of sinners, taking the penalty for their sins, giving his perfect righteousness to them that they might be justified and reconciled to God. If you're not a Christian, you can receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ who came to save sinners, who came to serve sinners. If you repent of your sins, turn to Christ in faith, For salvation, you will be saved. If you humble yourself, submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, you will become immediately useful by the grace of God, to be used by him for your good, the good of those around you, and ultimately God's glory. What we find in the gospel is that the gift that God gave us in his son was a gift of love. And this is where serving God in humility and love comes in. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave the gift of his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in the same way, the use and exercise of our gifts that ought to be done in humility is also to be done in love. And notice the very next verse, Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, let your love be genuine. Let your love be real. Let it be true. Because exercising your gift is about love. Love. Vertically, do you love God? And horizontally, because if you love God, you will love His people. So instead of asking, what is my spiritual gift? Ask yourself, do I love the body? Because if you love the body, remember this is Christ's body, purchased by His blood. You will serve the body. And you will give yourself to the body. And then you will be you'll discover how God has gifted you and enabled you and empowered you and graced you to function in the body, to grow the body. My gifts given to me by God are for the church. Your gifts given to you by God are for the church. Mine are not for me. Yours are not for you. Mine are for you. Yours are for me. And it's all for Christ present yourself a living and holy sacrifice. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. Devote your life to serving Him and know that you're gifted to serve Him and His body. This is what God calls us to. We've been saved to serve. Do we come to church looking for ways to serve or to be served? We learn here that serving is not an option. The use of our spiritual gifts is not an option, it's a command. But there are far too many Christians that God has saved, gifted by his grace, placed into a local body who are not using their gifts. Non-participation is sin. Maybe you didn't know that it is sin to be a Christian not to, to use your spiritual gifts to edify and strengthen the body. Perhaps you are thinking, I don't know what my gift is. Well, now you know that you are just to serve, and that through serving it will become more clear. Or perhaps you're thinking, is that there's no programs, there's no ministries within the church for me to serve in. Also know that there's no normative biblical prescription for programs in Scripture. I'm not discounting programs and ministries in any way. If the church has the people and the capacity and the resources to have multiple ministries that serve the Lord with a sound philosophy of ministry centered upon the Word of God, those are great. But if a church doesn't have ministries and programs, that doesn't take anything away from the church being a healthy, biblical, sound church Because there's no mandate in Scripture saying that the church is to have all these things. The church is to have biblically qualified elders who love and shepherd the flock. They're to partake in communion, observe believer's baptism. They're to preach the word, pray the word, read the word, serve one another. That's what a healthy, faithful church is. So nowadays, people have associated serving with programs where that should not be the case. The one another's are to be exercised naturally and normally as part of a church life, whether there are programs and other ministries or not. In our interactions, in our relationships with one another, when we gather and every time we see one another, that's when we serve one another. So there's no such thing as there's nowhere for me to serve or you guys don't have this ministry or that program, so we can't go there. We're going to go find another church to serve us, serve us, not to serve. And there's another area, I won't spend too much time, on parachurch ministries, or so-called parachurch ministries that have no connection to the local church. No elder oversight that propagate bad doctrine. They take financial resources away from the local church. They present an unbiblical view of missions. Again, I'm giving a one-sided view of this. But God cares not only about what we do, but how we do it and why we do it. And a lot of these parachurch ministries go off on their own, and the danger there is, they're doing something that God didn't tell them to do, apart from the association with the local church. And they're doing it their way, in a way that God didn't say to do it in. And they may, in their hearts, believe that they're serving the Lord and doing something good, but at the same time, the Lord didn't tell them to do it that way. You must be connected to the body, to a local church. The mission of the church. The people of God is to be accomplished through the assembly of God's people locally. And of course, as we work and live our lives, we work and live our lives as unto the Lord. No matter what we do, our lives are supposed to revolve around the priority of the church. Our lives are supposed to revolve around the priority of the church that we've been saved and brought into. Not the church revolving around the priorities of our lives. This makes a significant impact on how Christians live and make decisions and think. Whether you move somewhere else, the questions need to be centered around, is there a local church for me and my family to attend? Am I going to be spiritually cared for? Am I going to be protected from error and false doctrine? Am I going to be in a place that has brothers and sisters that cares for me and that I can care for? and that we can fulfill the Great Commission together. This is what our lives are to be about. This is why we are called Christians. We're unique, we're distinct, we're different. We can't live like the world and just come on Sunday and think we're going to do something. Our entire lives are to be presented as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And Paul just lists one of the ways that we can do that within the local body which is to exercise and use our gifts. How does this impact you? The truth that every believer has been graced according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Why do differing gifts within the body cause us to think rightly and soundly, not to think of ourselves too highly? Because differing gifts within the body causes us to see our need for one another. When you know that other people have something that you don't have and they're a big help to you, you don't see yourself as having everything. That it's not all about me. God has not given to you every gift to make you sufficient in yourself. He spreads different gifts throughout the body so that you might see your need in the body, thus causing you to think rightly, soberly, soundly, that we need each other, and that is why God has united us together in Christ. If God thought you could do it alone, he wouldn't have united you together to a body. A transformed life involves a transformation of how we view ourselves. Humble servants in every area of life. And that we belong not to ourselves, but to Christ and to others in the body of Christ. Which is why one of the evidences of transformation is seen in how we love the church. Do you love and delight and long for Sunday to come? to gather together to see brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve them, to hear about how they're doing, to encourage them. God does not place some kind of super gifted person in the church so that they can think highly of themselves, but rather gives to each and every one of us differing gifts so that we would not think too highly of ourselves, realizing that we depend on one another that we are to serve one another, that we need one another, and in doing so, we give glory to God. And by his grace, he gives us these gifts and the measure of faith to exercise them. God has placed you here, specifically, to be used by him. Here, specifically. The way that we present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice of worship to God is by thinking rightly about him and also thinking rightly about ourselves with humility, thinking rightly about our part in the body and as a member of the body and as belonging to the body, and using the gifts God has given us to serve him as we serve his body. This is a call to a total commitment to God. This is a call to total commitment to God in humble service. This is the cost of discipleship. This is what it means to follow after Christ. That your life is not your own. As if Romans 1 through 11, if you know the those chapters, as if that wasn't humbling enough. God gifts you by his grace. He gives you the necessary faith to exercise that gift. God places you into a body of Christ to edify and to be edified by the gifts that he provides. So commit yourself to using them in humble service and obedience to God. And we all need to hear this. None of us have arrived. And this is, to me, as much as it is to you, that we must use our gifts to serve one another, And you don't necessarily need to know what your gifting is. Just love the body and serve the body. And again, beware of the danger of these other tests that are worldly and don't give you a true biblical view of what gifts are and how to use them. And they shouldn't be applied to service in the church. Understand that if you go off of those tests, it can prevent you and hinder you from doing something that God is the one who empowers you to do. God uses people who don't necessarily have the the apparent skills to serve him. And we see that all throughout Scripture. Moses, he needed someone else to speak on his behalf. God used him in different ways. If I went off of questions as, oh, are you comfortable speaking in front of a public crowd? No. I would never seek this position because I didn't. it's not mine to seek. But when you see someone who's not naturally comfortable in a group of people speaking to them, and God empowers you, and as you serve the church and serve in smaller group capacities, first with children and different groups, you learn, and people confirm, and you find joy in your heart that, hey, this is not my natural disposition, but the Spirit is using me. And I'm finding joy in doing this. So don't let these tests categorize you, box you into something and say, I can't do that. I can't serve because that told me that I'm not good at that. God uses anybody and everybody, no matter what you your gifts are, whether you know it or not. Just be willing, available, humble, and desire to please him. That's what he calls of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it exhorts us to obedience and how we ought to live our lives. We are completely yours. You have saved us. You have called us to yourself. You desire for us to be used by you, to serve you, to proclaim your truth, to make you known, to love one another, and to see the importance of what the mission of the church is that we're in this together, that we belong to one another, and we ought to rejoice and take comfort in that, but also be intentional and active and look for ways to edify and strengthen and serve one another. May our hearts be directed first and foremost in love for you, that our motivation would be your glory to see ourselves as humble slaves that seeks and desires to do your will and as an outflow of our love for you, that our lives may be a demonstration of love for your people, the people that you have joined us and united us together with, with a bond closer than any relationship that we have with anyone who is apart from Christ. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that it's all by your grace. So may you receive all of the glory, and may we not boast in ourselves, but only upon Christ. I pray these things in His name. Amen.